This is a Rooster Teeth production. Today we cover the alleged haunting and possession that plagued Latoya Amons and her family, residents of the 200 Demons House. Plus, we're on a mission of decomposition as we break down the very real and very messy phenomenon known as exploding coffin syndrome. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we cover topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. Think of it as a bit of a creepy exploration of human nature. I'm Elise Willems. I'm Jessica Vasami. Hey, Jess. Oh, God. Hey, Elise. <laughs> you act like I dragged you here against your will. You're making me talk about something I am terrified of today. Jessica, you and I both know that I told you you can talk about whatever you want today. It was entirely your choice because then we are why doing. why did I pick this? Hey, that's on you, bro. That's your sick and twisted psyche, your subconscious that is speaking to you and saying, Jessica, this is what you're really interested in. No, you're right. And like. Because some backstory for the viewers, we are, we have been doing, we're doing a series of four special episodes and in these episodes, we are each bringing a morbid topic to the table and trying to kind of out morbid one another, surprise one another, pique each other's curiosity with our morbid facts and stories and histories. And of course, the one topic that I don't want to talk about, I just found myself drawn towards uh, when looking up weird things on the internet. And that's very <laughs> so, indicative. Yes. It's very indicative. Uh <laughs> Yeah, and I couldn't sleep last night, so um, oh, no. <laughs> I just could see your face the entire time, like, the freaking Elise, this podcast. <laughs> I cannot sleep either, but it's so unrelated. Why couldn't you sleep? Oh, just because I'm a bad sleeper. That's right, yes. But uh, I do think maybe I secretly, I or I, I somehow knew in my yeah. mind's eye, Jessica's awake now, Jessica needs me, send energy her way. I don't know why I didn't text you. I, I should have. But yeah, I woke up. I had two hours of sleep last night, to be clear, um, from like one to three, eight, three seventeen in the morning. Oh my gosh. And I woke up at three seventeen, which we all know is the devil's hour. And so, of course, I woke up and that even scared me. And I'm not I'm not like embellishing the story for, you know, the podcast. This is exactly what happened. Um, but yeah, I woke up at three seventeen in the morning immediately, just heart pounding and like put on every light in the house, put on, um, what show was it? I stopped watching The Office. I was watching The Office a little bit last night. I think I put on New Girl, put that on loud and just kind of like stared at the ceiling and, you know, (laughs) um, just kind of like hoped for the best. Uh. (laughs) So, and I, and I honestly started rationalizing my thoughts. I'm like, no, there, demons wouldn't be here because like, I don't think my house is built on some sort of like ancient burial. We don't know. We don't know. I'm alone at home right now. Don't say those things to me. (laughs) 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 Oh gosh. I think, look, I think if you encountered a demon, they would, they would be a friendly demon. Who? not this story about to tell. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack here. And 
you know, feel free to 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 chime in when you want, but this is quite an adventure we're about to go down. <sighs> it's like Christmas morning, baby. Let's oh, do it. Oh, man. Yeah. And I mean, this is something that you've definitely seen probably in the movies and whatnot, but the fact that, um, you know, when you're watching a movie, you're like, oh, that's a movie. But then when like you're reading about it, you know, and like this is like a documented news article and everything and it was on TV, you're just like, oh, this is real. Okay, copy that. <laughs> you know, so this is basically about the exorcism of Latoya Amons. I hope I'm not pronouncing her last name wrong. But what we're about to get into is like been documented and detailed and nearly like 800 pages of official records obtained by the Indianapolis Star that recounted in more than like a dozen interviews with police and like um, Department of Child Safety, psychologists, family members, and, you know, a Catholic priest. So it all started around November 2011 in Gary, Indiana, when the Amons family like moved into their new rental house. Tons of flies started to come out of nowhere, swarming their screened in porch, despite the fact that it was December and it was cold out. They kept killing the flies, but they kept coming back. Fast forward a month or two, Latoya and her mom, Rosa, occasionally heard steady footsteps climbing the basement stairs and uh, creaks, doors opening and closing between the basement and the kitchen. No one was there. Even after they locked the door, the noise continue. So you're, you know, they're, they just moved into this new rental. They're just like, what the hell is going on? This place is strange. You know, just, just kind of curious about what all is happening in this moment. One night, Rosa said that she awoke and saw a shadowy figure of a man pacing in her living room. She leapt out of bed to investigate and found large wet boot prints. Okay. By March, 2012, Rosa said that the family's unease turned to fear. Next instance, I'm just giving you lead up to to all this craziness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In the wee hours of the morning one night, the Amons family was up late along with a group of friends mourning the death of a loved one. Next thing they knew, Latoya's 12-year-old daughter started to levitate above her bed unconscious. She, they, they just like couldn't wake her at all. The family and the friend group prayed until she eventually descended back onto the bed with no recollection of what just happened. And so keep in mind, this is the family that witnessed this. And then there was a group of friends that witnessed this. The group of friends were just like, and no, I'm out of here. And they just left and never went back to the house. But it was then that they knew that they needed help. And they had an inkling that this like it that they kept referring to was some sort of supernatural feeling. They called those local churches. Most didn't want to listen except for one. And this specific church said that their house on Carolina Street had bad spirits in it and it needed to be cleansed. Latoya and Rose go home, cleanse the house, cleanse the children as well, per the church's guidelines, and uh, hope for the best. They even contacted Clairvoyance, who said that their home was besieged by over 200 demons. The Clairvoyance told her to move, but that was not an option for their family as money was very, mm -hmm. very tight. Usually in, in horror movies, you know, there always has to be something that prevents the protagonists from leaving their haunted hovel or home. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's like in a movie that you're trying to create like a narrative story for. And in this case, it's like it's this is it's real, real I have life. To always remember. Yes, yeah. it is real life. Yeah, because usually when I'm watching a horror movie, I always say just you got to get out of there. Get out of there. Don't oh, stay absolutely. There. Go be anywhere else. But it, there is a reality that you have to live. Yep. You have children. Yeah. 
Exactly. And there's also that part of your brain where you're just like, is this? No, no, no. Wait, is it? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, But also, you know, per the clairvoyance guidance and whatnot, Latoya and and Rosa made an altar in their basement with a candle and like statues of Mary, Joseph and Jesus on them. They read expert uh, excerpts of the Bible, even burned sage and sulfur throughout the throughout the house. And uh, Latoya said nothing happened for three days. Cool. And then things got dramatically worse for them. So Latoya has three children. I mentioned the 12-year-old daughter earlier, and then that was aged then. That's not how old they are now. This was back in 2000, I think, 14. Okay. So all of Actually, this even earlier. To yeah. 2011, I think you said. Yeah, 2011. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So this is all like pretty, you know, last decade, kind of recent. Yes. Yes. So she has a 12-year-old daughter, and then she has two sons uh, at that age, then seven and nine. So from this moment, the possession happens. The family said demons possessed Latoya and her children. The kids' eyes bulged, evil smiles crossed their faces, and their voices deepened every time it happened. The seven-year-old would talk to a boy in the closet who wasn't there, but the boy would talk back to her seven-year-old talking about what it was like to be killed. The seven-year-old also at one point flew out of the bathroom one day as if he was like being thrown out. The daughter was smacked in the head with a random board that just flew across the house and she needed stitches. And the 12-year-old later would tell mental health professionals that she sometimes felt like as if she were being choked and held down and she couldn't speak or move. Uh, she also said that she had heard a voice that um, said that she would never see her family again and wouldn't live for another 20 minutes. Um, so all of this stuff was happening. So again, you know, they tried some of the churches, they weren't getting help. So they went to their doctor out of desperation. From there, they moved to a local hospital where a series of psychological studies, interviews, examinations were conducted on the family to better understand what was going on. One of the hospital psychiatrists evaluated Latoya and determined that she was of sound mind. But when uh, the Department of Child Services came in, one of their case managers, uh, Valerie Washington, interviewed the seven-year-old and 12-year-old brothers. That was another story. This is this is part of the story where a lot of like witnesses and just kind of like hospital goers and people witness something that they to this day are just like, I don't know what that was. Can't explain it. Yeah. You can't explain it. Yes. So Basically, uh, the two boys were in the room getting interviewed. Uh, Rosa, the, the the grandmother of these boys, uh, Latoya's mom, uh, was also in the room and she was holding their hands and wanted to start praying. And according to Washington's original, this uh, Washington as in Valerie Washington, the, the DCS uh, case manager, according to her report in an account corrobor- uh, corroborated by the nurse present, the nine-year-old had a weird grin on his face walked backwards up a wall to the ceiling, then flipped over Rosa, landing on his feet. He never let go of his grandmother's hand. This freaked Ugh. out the nurse, everybody you know, who... I, kid, yeah. kid, kids say the darndest things. They do, <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> it's nice. Yes. Kids walk up the darndest walls backwards, and kids speak yep. in the darndest tongues. Kids can just do acrobats that others can't. Look, yeah, I know uh, that... All these adults can't. For me, I... I can't even like bend my legs in the same way I could 20 years ago. So no. yeah, I'm not convinced yet, Jess. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. Exactly. And just keep in mind throughout this entire process, like this is a very, very lengthy story and I'm condensing it and I'm, I'm leaving some stuff out, but throughout this entire process, and we'll kind of get into that. There's of course, always going to be people and doctors that think that there's mental illness involved and that it's all in your head. And that's kind of what happened to, to Latoya. I'll get into a little bit later, but um, yeah. So unfortunately after everything, um, the department of child services took the emergency step of taking uh custody of the children without oh. a court order. Yeah. So, um, because again, they were like you, they, they thought that maybe she was abusing the children or yeah. putting these things in their heads of like demons and like weird supernatural stuff. So they, it was very devastating for her. That's so and, sad. Yeah. And her and her mom, Rosa. But um, come April 2012, we bring in Reverend Michael Maginot, a priest at a local church. He investigated the house, came into the conclusion that it was absolutely home to demons. And they decided to bring in the Gary police and also Valerie as well to kind of inspect the house together. And during this time, again, the kids are still with the uh, Department of Child Services and Latoya and Rosa were actually staying at a a relative's house and not staying at the house anymore, but they would come back to the house with the team to kind of like investigate and like give this old call a try. Like what is going on here, you know? And so during their their search of the house, um, things seemed like, okay, they guess. Uh, Rosa believed that the demons came from the basement, like underneath, you know, we've seen all this before in movies, but cliche right here that um, the demons were coming like from underneath the cement, there was like dirt coming up from under the cement, like through the cracks and kind of like around the sides and believe that they were coming from there. They dug it up. They didn't really find anything. They found like a wig, some like nails um, and like some socks, like just, just like weird stuff. It's like this demon, (laughs) this demon was a performer. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was like super strange, like a weird, just like weird stuff. And like, while I was reading that, I was like, okay, then, and something. And then it came to, they found nothing. I was like, oh, okay. Okay. So dug that up. Didn't find anything. When they were walking around the house some more, they, they, they came back to this house multiple times. They noticed the weird sticky liquid dripping from all around the house. It was like on the blinds. Some of it was like on the wall at the very top. And they described it as like some oil-like substance, um, which was super weird, but it was everywhere. Even though they would try and like uh, remove it or wipe it down, it always appeared back later. So super strange. Um, And also one of the things that was super weird is that even the people on the team that were investigating this, like Valerie and some of the police officers and stuff, they started getting random panic attacks, body pains, headaches, being in the house for like under an hour or two and they would have to go outside and like take a deep breath and just kind of like, I feel weird. I feel lightheaded. I don't know why I'm feeling like this. And it's just, you know, it's another thing that you kind of like, what, what is going on here? Why do I feel this way? Ah, it could just be a headache. Ah, it could just be this, you know? But of course we have a reverend in the house, Maginot. He, after his like thorough inspection, he decides as a Catholic, you know, priest that there needed to be an exorcism and that there were demons in the house. And like he, as somebody from the Catholic church, regardless of what the police or Valerie was saying, like he was going to do this. And they did, they started off with like minor exorcism first, which is basically just, you know, saying, reading some passages, kind of like throwing some holy water, you know, nothing too much, but eventually uh, that didn't work. 
And so they needed to do the big finale, which is a straight up full on exorcism of Latoya. And um, this part was really very interesting to hear the way that she described it. So obviously she was convulsing violently, but she described the pain as if she felt as if something inside of her was like trying to hold on and inflict pain at the same time. She said it was different from like natural pain, but it felt as intense as giving birth. And she went through three exorcisms. And in the final exorcism, June 2012, Maginot said that he prayed and berated the demons uh, in Latin rather than English. And uh, the demons had left Latoya. Thankfully, the story ends. Um, Nice, because I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to be telling the story if there is no somewhat happy ending, because <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, hell no. But <laughs> thankfully, uh, LaToya did regain custody of her three children okay. in November 2012, about six months after they were removed. And the Department of Child um, Safety definitely, you know, continued to check in on the children and make sure they were going to school and until the case was closed. And all of that, and obviously moved out of that house. Um, so they, they're, they're away. They are good. I don't know where they are now, but I hope that they are happy and peaceful. But the house, though, because this is this is in the house. You know what I mean? Because like last night when I'm up, thinking that like a demon's near me, I'm like, no, 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 no. It wasn't like Latoya and her family. This was like there was something in this house. Like the clairvoyance even said that you know there was 200 demons like in this house. So. There is a paranormal investigator. I don't know if you know him. His name is Zach Begans. I don't know if you know him, but he is a paranormal. Yeah, he's a paranormal investigator. In 2014, he purchased the house for $35,000 and um, shot a documentary in it called Demon House. I will not watch this, um, but it is out there if you wish to watch it. And then eventually demolished it in January 2016 after filming the documentary so that house is a gone and hopefully everything is gone and everything's peaceful now (laughs) (laughs) so yeah wow well what a roller coaster and i'm sorry that you had such a wild night (laughs) i know and what's so crazy about it though is like it's so i think the reason why by the way this story i'm pretty sure is getting picked up for some sort of like movie or series i i briefly read a few articles where Netflix might have like bought the rights to this story. Um, So who knows what will happen with this, but it's just so weird reading it and like knowing, yes, that it is real and I'm not reading about a movie because I will not, you know, concern myself with any of this stuff, like when it comes to movies and all that, but to read it in like your normal publication, knowing that there's over 800 pages of documents and interviews and all that is just like, eh, okay. Yeah. I have to admit, I I think that you and I differ in that I'm lean a little bit more towards skepticism than you might. And I wish I could think like you. <laughs> and especially, and the thing is, I love horror. I really, really do. But I just can't help but have that, it, that immediate skepticism to so many things. And it's not because I don't want to believe, but it's just, I don't know. I'm just wired that way. And yeah. I've read a lot about a lot of hauntings, a lot of possessions. And when you said that you were bringing demones 
to the podcast today, I for sure thought, and you said, you said, oh yeah, it's a possession that happened in in the home. I for sure thought it was going to be the Enfield haunting, which is Uh kind of this infamous one in the UK. It's what the second Conjuring movie was based on. And it's, you know, a single, and it's kind of the same sort of sounding thing. It's like a single parent, their children start exhibiting strange behaviors and there's a lot of stress and pressure and they're in it, you know, they're below the poverty line. There's not much they can do to get out of this situation. And there's a lot of skepticism toward that case because the media latched onto it and had all these, you know, photographic evidence and stuff. But then there's a lot of criticism that, oh, this looks like it could be doctored, et cetera. I ultimately don't really know I think that sometimes we underestimate underestimate or don't know what the human body is capable of and what people might be capable of psychosomatically or under a bunch of stress. But then mm-hmm. there are situations like this where it's like people saw a person levitating. How do you account for that? How do you explain that? I don't know. I, I just I don't, don't know. I don't know either. And, you know, they... They were Christian. I don't know if I mentioned that, but Latoya and her family are Christian. And I think like one of the doctors, again, I condensed the story to just kind of hit the hit the bullet points. Feel like definitely go, if, if you're interested in the story, definitely go research it. But throughout all of this, um, there were some doctors that came in and did think that because they were so religious, that maybe Latoya was putting, she was going about things like that deal with just typical, not typical, but just like mental health issues and putting a such a strong religious tie to it. And then, then brought it onto her children. And the doctor was trying to make sure that like, let's go about things like you, you take responsibility for your actions. Let's not use religion because it's, because they thought again, that this was more mental health issue than, than religious paranormal. Yeah. And the, the she was like, timing I idea comes back. Yes. In. Yeah, absolutely. It, do you find that after you read more about these cases that I know you were up all night kind of creeped out by it, but do you think that ultimately you might steal yourself in such a way that you've conditioned yourself? You've, you've read about these cases so much. You're no longer creeped out by them. If I'm being honest, like it got to the point last night where I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, well, first off, they were in a house that demons were already present. So when they moved in, it wasn't like Latoya and her family were just cursed with this. They it's it's happened in this house or, you know, whatever you believe. So I was like, okay, that's not my house. So check off that box. And then second, I, I started thinking existentially about like space and time. And I'm like, demons are in the universe. Are demons on Mars? Demons are a very like human human thing, right? Mm-hmm. Or or at least that's what we know of. There could be like demon-like creatures on other planets and stuff and and to us they're demonic and evil, I'm not sure, but demons to to how people ex- explain them now in such a religious type of way and they even use and I didn't want to get into this cuz I was scared, but one of the um how they kind of they had to do multiple exorcisms, but they started using some of the demons' names specifically. Um, and these are like popular demons throughout. He- popular demons. They're like, pop- no, but I, yeah, well, in, in like, especially yeah. like Catholic mysticism, there are certain yes. demons that are named and recognized. Yep. And you'll hear yep. about them in texts and stuff. Yeah, I know, yep. I know exactly what you mean. Exactly. So, 
I was just like, man, but that's like so human and earthly. And so I think when I was thinking like about the freaking cosmos and the universe, I was like, (laughs) all right, you know, let's, that's, I think I'm okay. Yeah. You stepped beyond yourself. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And believe it or not, I was not on drugs. I know this sounds like a drug conversation, (laughs) but I was not on any sort of drug. (laughs) Yeah. At the top of every show, we take a drug pledge. Um, (laughs) that no matter what, uh, we thought or said it was not under the influence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I love that you brought us into something supernatural because I'm about to ground us in a very harsh reality. (laughs) Great. So I really think that's a lot of fun to talk about. And I know on the show, we're going to talk much to your chagrin, I'm sure talk about more demon stories, demonology, maybe even do an episode where we just tried to take a lot of exorcisms that have happened throughout history and debunk them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, to, to help you sleep at night. That would be great. Yeah. I also like want to dive more into the Catholic church and popes and, and like, just oh, well, the science of it. <laughs> there are also a lot of rules behind what priests can ex like the Catholicism itself, the mm-hmm. religion and the institution has a lot of rules about how priests conduct exorcisms, who can do it, who can do it yep. when. And yep. I think that's very interesting to just talk it about. Is. And that's like, that's a great episode fodder. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you for bringing that, Jess. Cause that, that was a story I was not familiar with and I really enjoyed it. I'm glad it. that I got it out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, buckle in because we are about to get distinctly gruesome. With my little tale here, but first we're going to hear from some of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Electric E-Bikes. Imagine it's a beautiful summer evening, the sun's setting late, the weather's warm, and you've decided to go for a relaxing bike ride. Except you go for a ride, but you start to get tired. And soon you're a little bit farther from home than you anticipated. And you didn't save enough energy for the ride back. Hmm. Imagine if you had an e-bike that could give you that little bit of extra pep and help make your ride more convenient and comfortable. Finally, there's an e-bike for you, for me, for everyone. Electric e-bikes. Electric e-bikes start at $7.99, and it's easy to see why they are the fastest growing e-bike company in the U.S. They're affordable, customizable, ship-free, fully assembled. And these puppies fold in half. You don't need a bike rack or a truck if you want to go out to the beach and ride down the trail or maybe the mountains. They're good on any terrain, be it sand or snow. So leave the car at home, save on gas, save the planet when you explore and commute on electric e-bikes. I love them. And electric e-bikes are so cool and versatile and functional on so many levels. In the summer, I love to bike out to dinner in the evenings. And you know, you can get a little bit full (laughs) after eating and the bike ride home can seem kind of daunting, but when I have my electric e-bike, it's totally doable. So leave the car at home, save on gas, again, save the planet, explore your city or town with more ease, or go somewhere that you've never been or you would have never been on a regular bike because electric e-bike makes it possible. Again, they fold up, they're so easy to store, which I love because in LA, Space is at a premium, but just because they fold doesn't mean they're flimsy, they're durable and adjustable. The battery is hidden away and there's an LCD display featuring speed range and adjustable power level and it comes pre-charged so you can get moving immediately. And they cover up to 45 miles at up to 28 miles per hour on just a four to six hour charge. 
Different bike models and accessories also provide optimal comfort and storage and safety so you can customize your bike to your preferences. So join the affordable e-bike revolution. Go to electricebikes.com and use code 30MM to get a free foldable mountable bike lock with any bike purchase. Ooh, that's important if you're going far. That's a free bike lock when you use code 30MM, that's 30MM, at L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-E-S dot com. All right, and back to the episode. I warned you, Jess, mine is a little bit gross, a little bit disgusting, truly morbid in every sense of the word, but hopefully it will take your mind off of all of the demon talk. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'll start with, with three words and you tell me your level of familiarity with this. Exploding casket syndrome. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why I laughed. Um, I am not familiar with this. Please enlighten me. Okay. So exploding casket syndrome, a.k.a. exploding corpse syndrome, is a thing. And that phrase itself is a lot to take in. And though it's rare for it to happen, it can happen. And if it does, it's usually to a body and a casket that is above ground in a mausoleum. And Jess, I know I think you've said maybe before that you might have family in mausoleums. Mm -hmm. I do. So I'm, I'm sorry if this hits close to home at all. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, So basically, the basic background on what is happening here is that human remains naturally emit gases during the postmortem decomposition phase. When a body is placed inside of a casket, depending on the circumstances, gases from the decomposition can no longer escape. There's a process to the decomposition process, hence the term, hence it being called a process. And when that process can't naturally come to completion, there can be issues. Wait, I have a quick question. Mm-hmm. Is this process part of like, um, is it called debombing? Like, don't don't they kind of like take care of the body so this doesn't happen? Is that the process you're talking about? Uh, embalming is not really a part of this because this mostly has okay. to do with the environment inside of a casket. And there's Copy only so that. much okay. embalming can do. So like this even happens when a embalming occurs. So this is just more to do with like the decomposition process that a corpse would need to go under whether it's been embalmed or not. Um, okay. But it's it's that these corpses are put into these very, very airtight sealed caskets. And you might see a lot of caskets being sold, and they're sold with these guarantees of having these high-pressure seals and, and these airtight seals. And that's supposed to be a really, really good thing, or at least it's sold to the general public as when you're buying a casket, you want it to be sealed tight. You want their, nothing's getting out of this bad boy. If zombies rise, they got to get out of that casket first and they're not going to be able to. And so when a corpse is undergoing decomposition in a casket and all these gases are being emitted, etc., there's an aggressive amount of pressure. There's so much pressure that is building up inside of it. And as the pressure increases, the casket can become like a balloon. But if you imagine a balloon where you've blown too much air into it and you're continuing to fill it with air past the point that it can actually sustain this air. And the word exploding is kind of a misnomer because I wouldn't say the body really explodes in the traditional sense. Um, But it just means that the pressure from these gases has to be released in some way. It's like, it's a damn pressure cooker in there. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm sorry. This is all pretty grotesque. So 
if the casket cannot release any of this pressure naturally, there's all this pressure collecting. I've said the word pressure 300 times by now, (laughs) but a corpse will start to spill out these unpleasant fluids that are building and developing by natural decomposition and because of the pressure. It's like a chunky brown mush. Oh, my God. And more gases. And when this happens, because of all the pressure, the casket, which, again, the funeral industry is selling these sealed tight caskets, they can pop open or at the very least they develop a kind of a breach in the seal or maybe the front of the casket will even pop off due to the the pressure. And again, this is happening in above ground mausoleums because they have the space around them to do so. Like if a casket is underground, it's barricaded by the ground. It doesn't have the leeway necessarily to do this. Or if it's happening, you don't know because it's underground. And then the body sludge starts to seep out of the casket. And I know I used the word body sludge here, and that is not a technical or a medical term. <laughs> but I think you'll understand what I mean for the purpose of this episode. Jess, break here. Any questions? <laughs> <laughs> I know I've been saying a lot. Um, Nope. Just kind of along for the ride on this one. I just hope this doesn't happen to me. Oh, but I'm hoping gosh. that I'll just be in a different place and my, my meat sack will be left on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> So continue. <laughs> so, yeah, so this is a process that happens and it can happen. And it's it's horrible. It's horrific. It's it's terrible to imagine. The thing is, this is very avoidable. And mausoleum owners and knowledgeable funerary directors, they know that you need proper ventilation in these above ground crypts and mausoleums like they know that this is a thing. And they know this can happen. The good ones, the ones that are actually informed at their industry know that this is a problem. But the public has been fed all these stigmas that conflict with what actually needs to happen during internment. So like a mausoleum director would know that if they just went into the mausoleum for a fresh body that's been put in there and they just propped open the lid a little bit on the casket They would prevent these issues from happening. But if a family happened to visit the grave and discovered this, I'm sure they'd freak out, right? Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. And then also, again, you talked about we don't want any zombie situations. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And of course, like, (laughs) there is just a natural smell of decomposition, too. So it's the kind of thing where you're fighting, you know, odor versus exploding caskets. And there have been instances where mausoleum directors have acknowledged this is a thing that can happen. We need to air out these caskets. They're sealed too tight. They do this. The family has found out about it and there have been lawsuits. So it's definitely been a thing. Um, But that's because they're unaware of the science. And then there's this level of mythology and stigma that's been created. And, you know, it's even part of selling caskets. They're sold with the expectation of like, this is sealed tight. It won't open for 150 years. Yeah. Kind of thing. Because I think there's this idea, this uh, we've we've built around this mythology of like when you bury somebody's corpse, you don't want anything to happen to them. You want them to stay locked in that box and nothing to get at them, yep. you know, nothing to get in. So there's this. And uh <laughs> and Actually, unbeknownst to the public, a lot of mausoleums have these drainage pipes at the back near the rear of the caskets. So if this does happen, they're kind of on like a slant and then all this. Oh, yep. Yeah. And all this putrid brown mush would just like discreetly drain out behind the caskets. My mind is going crazy. I'm right sorry. Now. I know. I had a feeling. <laughs> no, it's just going crazy in the way of like it's 
it's bonkers that our bodies are just as they are right now, you know, yep. and it, we, our bodies really are just meat sacks. It's We're crazy. matter. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the minute it just stops working, it just kind of turns into this mm-hmm. yes, sludge that you're talking about. And then we just kind of drain off into some pipes. Yeah. Drain out. And then I drain through the plumbing system. I come up into your sink. You drink me. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> That's what happens. It's what's going to happen. No. Uh, Oh, if I notice, (laughs) if I notice like any sort of weird aftertaste in my water. Oh, that was Elise, wasn't it? You're going to see a blonde hair. You're like, what Ah! is this? Sorry, this is getting distinctly gross. I knew this was going to be a really gross topic. I apologize to anybody listening that's maybe like listening over lunch. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, what a a doozy of an episode. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Easy. Uh, either way, the industry has the public convinced that creating these airtight seals like Tupperware, like, you know, putting grandma in a glad freezer bag is the best choice when in fact it's really a recipe for issues. And it definitely preys and plays upon our own discomfort with death and our inclination to sort of turn our backs to the reality of death. Like we don't want to acknowledge, hey, if we're putting this body in a mausoleum and we're putting them in this airtight enclosure, this is a possibility that can happen. Like we don't we don't want to think about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. so, yeah, but entire product lines have been established to keep decomposition within caskets. Um, There's this brand Cryptotech. I'm sorry. Oh, there's this brand Cryptotech, which created a plastic lining that you can put inside a casket and it encloses any leaky contents. There's also a brand called Insura Seal, which is a bag that goes around the casket to keep everything in the tomb. Yeah. I just don't really think about the stuff on a daily basis, you know? Yeah, though a lot of caskets do have these, like, these valves or little, like, gaskets that will release pressure, actually. And the largest manufacturer of caskets has this claim that their caskets, quote-unquote, burp. Wow. And you oh. and I can't even burp. No. No, not yeah. I mean, I have to stick a tool down my throat now to get a burp out, mm-hmm. and which I just sounds like a demon. No, it's in, and, and like we're not joking here. We're, we're being facetious, audience. Like Jess and I just both can't burp. Yeah, it's just a problem. Like I can't. Yeah, no, I can't either. It causes pain. I got a surgery for it, but then uh, I got Botox into my throat, and then um, I was supposed to practice with a lot of bubble drinks, mm-hmm. and I did. I don't think I practiced enough, and then it wore off, and so now yeah. I just stick tools down my Ugh. throat to air vomit. I just have, I have like two involuntary burps a year where I'm like, oh, that was a burp. That happened. Mm. Hmm. Uh, But yeah, these caskets can burp. And then so that kind of like lets out a little bit of that excess gas and pressure. Um, But I guess the biggest takeaway I can give you from all of this is it isn't good to let things bottle up in life or in death. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yep. That is something... That I will take away from this for sure. Mm-hmm. And so, Jess, I hope that I've given you more things to worry about other than demons. Yeah, I've, I I just, you know, I think about death a lot, but I don't think about like what happens to my body after I die. I'm just like, oh, I'm dead. And I hopefully am going on some sort of adventure past this. Uh, I don't really think what happens to like my meat sack, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. um, um, so that's really interesting. That's that's. I'm trying to think of different, there's so many different things to do with your meat sack when you're done. Oh, yeah. This is one of them. I know we're going to talk about them all on this show. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But that's just, you know, it is gross. I can't, our bodies are, they're honestly fascinating. Yes. You know, 
it really is quite fascinating on what they can do, how they can literally keep you alive and your heart just beats and blood throws goes through your veins. And then one minute, you know, you, you could die. All that mm-hmm. stops working. And then you're goop. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. But the circle uh, of life. I didn't really know about this before. I did not know it. about this. Mm-mm. So the more you know. The more you know. And that's our episode for today. Next week, we'll be doing this sort of format again. And then June 20th, we'll be back to a single topic that we'll break down and dive into. Mm-hmm. Get into the nitty gritty of it all. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have a question for um, our audience. Have you guys bought our shirts yet mm-hmm. or, or decals? Have you? I've seen some people because they've tweeted at us with really, really cute outfits. Some of them have, yes. And I love the uh, outfits that they have put together. Me too. I love it. What about the rest of you? Have you purchased them? You also posted a little video with you with the decal where you were like kind of like hiding behind it and it was really cute. Yeah, I uh, I want to do some little cute photos of it. And I think I will put it on my water bottle. I know that you said that you, that's what you did with yeah, yours. I did. And, and I actually got a compliment on it today. <laughs> <gasps> what they say it's like oh that's really really cool and it like it looks really i didn't even know that that was a sticker on the bottle and i was like oh yeah it's definitely not a podcast that i do yeah were you just like this is me <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah this is me <laughs> this is my friend <laughs> we have podcast we're uh, widow skeletons yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay uh, this girl's kind of weird <laughs> no i love it all and i also love gosh there are so many informed and thoughtful and well-read and educated people that listen to this podcast because we get so many cool comments and replies and tweets with more knowledge and more interesting facts. I love it. Thank you all. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening just in general and supporting us. It is greatly appreciated. Mm -hmm. And if you want to check us out in person, we're going to be at RTX Austin. We are. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that we can talk about this now. This July 4th weekend... Mm-hmm. 30 morbid minutes will be up to some stuff at the convention so you can check that out if you mm-hmm. uh, go to the rtx event website yep and i don't know i mean we're gonna be doing something we could be like i don't know what we'll be doing but we'll be around mm-hmm. yeah some surprises you can uh, follow us on social media at jessica Vasami, at elise willems at 30 morbid minutes and hopefully i can sleep tonight so if you this can't, is behind me, give me a call. I might actually, I, I don't know why I didn't do that last night. Yeah. Give me a call and I will distract you with slightly less scary stories than demons. Just gross goop stories. Okay, cool. Just gross goop. Bye. Bye. Bye.